Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello to you all, and thank you for joining me today on Positivity Strategist. This is episode 42, and it's an enormous privilege to welcome a new colleague from the global appreciative inquiry world, Suzanne Quinney. Suzanne is co-founder of Appreciating People, based in Liverpool in the UK. Here's a lovely snippet of my conversation with Suzanne to whet your appetite for this fabulous show today. I think, you know, we'd like to do some more work with schools and the positive psychology and appreciative inquiry in schools. And quite um, out of the blue, really, recently we've got... We, are, we were invited to facilitate a conference in January with a, a group of schools, the American schools in Europe, who are wanting to introduce uh, the whole concept of flourishing and positive psychology into their school. So we're really looking forward to getting to know more about that and how it might happen and, and to be part of the process with them. Hey, but first, we have our Positivity Lens Reframe segment. And you know that I do this each week as a way to strengthen our positivity muscle and to be more open to see people and situations through multiple lenses. Remember, what you focus on grows. Now, on my last show, my guest was Jay Samet. And Jay's a very well-known entrepreneur, and he's the author of the new book called Disrupt You, The Keys to Master Personal Transformation. And for the Positivity Lens Reframe segment, he invited you to think about your ability to be a positive disruptor. In fact, Jay clearly articulated three very powerful strategies. And let me just iterate here or reiterate here. So he suggested that for every day, for one month, just walk around and list three things that you think can be improved and would be valued by others. And so at the end of a month, you'll have 90 ideas and then identify which one are you most passionate about and willing to do something about. And then number two, he said, don't do it alone. Go and do your research and find out who are the people in your field that you can have a dialogue with and learn more from and with? And might these people be potential mentors for you? And his third tip was, wake up every day and accept that the future will be better than the past. And have this mindset, I can make a difference. I am making a difference. Three great positivity strategies. And now to this week's show. I'm hugely excited to have Suzanne Quinney as my guest today. And Suzanne is co-founder of a company called Appreciating People, which is based in Liverpool in the UK. Suzanne, welcome and thank you for being with me today on Positivity Strategist. 
Thank you, Robin. It's really delightful, actually, to be doing this exchange across the ocean. Yes, I know, because you're my very first guest from the UK. So this is just kind of a double double excitement for me. It's really yeah. special that you, you're able to do this. Yes. So thank you so much again. Now, so hello from sunny Liverpool. Sunny Liverpool. Yes, that's so nice. The home of the Beatles, you probably get that all the time, right? Yeah, we do love it though, <laughs> so we don't mind. It shows kind of a, a certain vintage, I think, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Suzanne, you're a seasoned appreciative inquiry practitioner. And um, it's so interesting because you and your company are doing some really significant and I think groundbreaking work with health organisations and public housing and in the faith community and churches and community organisations. And I also, I'm also aware that you're very creative in designing and producing appreciative inquiry training and support materials, which are really gorgeous. And the third thing that really excites me is that you've just returned from the most recent World Appreciative Inquiry Conference, which was held this year in Johannesburg in South Africa. So these are three lovely topics that we could explore and probably talk, you know, talk about for hours. Um, but before we, we start and, and explore some of these topics, Suzanne, would you be willing just to um, say a little bit about what brought you to Appreciative Inquiry and the work that you're doing today? Um, yes, of course. Well, I've had a little bit of a, um, an event, no, uh, a varied work life. But uh, in the 90s, I spent nearly eight years in the Findhorn Foundation, which is an educational and spiritual community. And actually, that was where I was introduced to Appreciative Inquiry through friends from Findhorn. And because I, Findhorn itself is a really creative and diverse place, and I'd come back into a more conventional working life. But then when I really got into Appreciative Inquiry, I felt that it enabled me to bring in some of that creativity and awareness and learning from those days to bring it into my working life in Liverpool. Oh, that's so, that's so wonderful. So eight years in Findhorn. And so yeah. when, did you, when did you leave there? How long ago have you, did you leave? I, I left in 2002. So oh, okay. Yeah, you said in the 90s. Sorry, I'm just not computing yeah. very well. Um, yeah, great. But it's and like my second family, so I still go back a couple of times a year. Oh, that, I mean, that's, that must be wonderful. You know, it's so well known for the work that it does and how fantastic. And of mm. course, yeah, I mean, I see appreciative inquiry as, you know, a spiritual, philosophical way as well as a very practical framework, right? So yes. it does bring the two together. So a lovely fit. Yes. And so nice to have a way of using those things in, in a more, conventional world or with community groups but because appreciative inquiry has got that structure and academic back, background to back it up yeah you know one of the things that I find when I'm talking to people about how um, how they got into appreciative inquiry as I am with you right now many of them intuitively just had that sensibility and then yeah. when they learned about appreciative inquiry it was almost like oh my god there is a legitimacy around this. There is a, a theoretical underpinning. There is the science that backs it up. And it's almost so, so um, affirming. 
Yes, yes, that's really nicely summarised, actually, how you've just said it. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the benefits of interviewing some amazing people. <laughs> I'm lucky in that way. So why don't you tell me a little bit now um, about starting appreciative, Appreciating People, the company that you have? Um, well, I suppose it began, actually, um, when my husband decided to go as an independent practitioner and I'd introduced him to Appreciative Inquiry and he really liked it as well. So he set up the company initially and then after a couple of years, while I carried on working in the housing association, and then I joined him. And we both, uh, we both trained with uh, Jane McCruder Watkins mm. and Meta Jacobsgaard. And so we got a great start really learning from them. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, she's one of the, one of the, I would say one of the gurus in the field, one of the original thought leaders. That's very yeah. fortunate. Yes. And so, in fact, that coincided with the, the, fir- the first Appreciative Inquiry conference we were able to go to, which was the one in Nepal. Oh, really? Yes, I was yeah. there. Oh, isn't that funny? But- <laughs> <laughs> we didn't meet. How awful. <laughs> I know. What a shame. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've come a long way since then. That's fantastic. Did you go to Ghent? Yes, we did. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. That, that was our last one. We couldn't make it to South Africa. And we'll come back to that one because mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about some of the highlights of the, la- the most recent um, World Appreciative Inquiry Conference. So what's Tim's background, your partner? Um, He's worked in regeneration and youth work and community work within local authorities, which are the councils Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Um, And is he he the creative one who produces these beautiful support materials? He is really the, the, the guiding force in it. He's a great design person. He's, he's also a potter when he has time. But I think he's put all his creative energy from pottery into doing these appreciative inquiry materials. Oh, yeah, that they're just gorgeous. Um, so let's just talk. What I'd love you to share now is maybe some high points of your work operating as appreciating people because you've done some very, I think, some really amazing things in the health sector and, you know, in communities. So I'm sure there are lots of high points, but is there... Is there something that comes to mind that you could talk to us about your work there as a strength-based appreciative inquiry practitioner? Well, I really enjoyed developing the program that I did within the homeless hostel sector, Mm -hmm. um, mostly in London, but a little bit outside as well, where um, there is a a very large homeless community who are either on the streets or in hostels. And I was lucky enough to be able to bring appreciative inquiry into uh, one of those hostels and it then got rolled out to some other ones. But I wanted to see if that strength-based approach would support people as they were being encouraged to move from the streets into hostels and then into their own uh, independent accommodation. So that was a really great journey of finding out, you know, ways that would work for this group. And also co-creating something with the amazing staff mm. that work in these hostels. They are really brilliant. Um, so I was able to develop a really strong working relationship with a number of those staff, whom I'm still in touch with, which is really nice. So how, how, what came first? Can, how, did you, 
how you know did you work with the residents and the staff separately together you know did you have to train the staff first could you just give us a little yes. bit of a, more details I think, you know, like some of your other podcast uh, interviewees, we really like working with a core group. Mm. So in, within this hostel, we trained 20 staff. And then of those 20, we invited whoever felt really interested to then co-design the program that we would then deliver together with the residents. And so what we initially, we were lucky because we had some funding from Westminster Council. So we were able to do... um a two-day residential in a youth hostel in North London. So it was nice for everybody to get a bit out of the hostel environment, but into somewhere that wasn't very expensive and that was quite supportive, really, of our group. And so we had a, we had a really interesting time. Obviously, it, not all of the hostel residents are interested in that that approach. And generally, each residential that I did one would probably go home early because they realised it wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that we made it a voluntary and that people could feel they could go, you know, if it wasn't right for them. But for those of us who, who were able to stay and, and keep going, people, we all got a lot out of it, really. Mm. And there's a certain, you know, there's a certain chaoticness and unusualness around working with that group especially a number of them were in recovery um, from substance misuse or drinking. Mm -hmm. So we were also working with that element in the room as well. Yeah, and um, there is a beautiful, beautiful video on your website, and I'll put a link to that, because you hear some of the inmates, or not inmates, what am I saying? I'm thinking Residents. residents, because I'm thinking, I mean, it just goes to show I'm thinking how relevant this would be in prison situations. So that's why I went there. But I just think that um, some of the, you know, some of the experiences is just so touching. So can what are some of the outcomes that came from that experience, Suzanne? Well, actually, you, funny you say that because I did also train some health staff and prison staff mm-hmm. uh, for one of the pr- uh, prisons in, um, in down in London as well mm-hmm. as a result of that. And it was, they also really, really appreciated that the opportunity to have a different perspective and apply it to their work. But that didn't go any further than just training mm-hmm. staff. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who's not familiar with appreciative inquiry and strength-based approaches, what is it that, what's the difference? What's the impact? Can you just describe that? Well, I mean, that the whole thing about, for, particularly for people going in and out of homeless hostels, the, generally most of their interactions with staff were around what were the problems that had led them to that point. Mm-hmm. So one of my first hints really about this direction was, listening to residents saying they were a bit fed up of saying the same old story each time and then never being asked about any of their strengths or good points. Wow. And one very tiny impact when we trained staff was quite often staff would immediately see how they could redesign their entry forms Mm. so that when they received a new uh, resident, they could ask them different things. Because it's it's so easy in that 
process to think about, you know, risk, support, health and safety. But of course, none of those focus very much on what the individual has done successfully, what their strengths are, what they enjoy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, it's it's such a shift because the traditional stuff is almost like a backward analysis, right? Yeah. And so what was the cause that brought you here? Not what's the future or the aspirations yes, or exactly. the possibilities and how yeah. do we move, put our energy towards that which we want to create versus, you know, always looking backwards, Yes. So in that sense, it seemed a really easy step to to tailor that those four Ds mm -hmm. into a, a personal journey that the residents could take on those two days with me and the staff. But also because we could do it as a group, we had eight or 10 people, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes as many as 14, depending. Yeah. And I like the voluntarily, voluntary nature that you're describing. And I guess that comes out of your own practice, you know, your own experience where working with um, World Cafe or Open Space or any of these more yeah. open-ended participatory methodologies that, you know, you only come if you have something to contribute and you're getting something out of it. Yes, yes. That's a nice link as well, in mm, fact. Yes. Yeah. That is just so beautiful. So did the, and I'm, I'm, you know, you have the five C's or something, the, the five oh, elements. Yes. Did yes. that come out of that or, cause that's really beautiful too. Oh, thank you. Tim will be really pleased to hear that. Actually. <laughs> His most recent creative activity. No, that's, that's really emerged much more recently that, that he's written that. And it's partly come out of some conversations we've got. We've got some really lovely European colleagues that we partner with in different ways. We had a, a Grunvig project, mm -hmm. which is a European funded partnership program. So we've got colleagues in Italy and in Prague, and then also in um, in Belgium and Spain now too. Mm, so we, we get together occasionally for some peer learning. And I think it's around that really that Tim's formulated those, those five C's. Mm -hmm. He's been doing some work on a small island in off the coast of Northern Ireland, a community called Rathlin. And how so do you spell that? Rathlin, um, R A T H L I N. Okay. I'll send you a link actually to a visual minute for Rathlin if you like. It's really nice. Yeah, and, please do. Yeah. But so, in, in doing those sort of community, so almost doing community planning, really, mm -hmm. using AI. Mm -hmm. And I think it's doing those kind of things that's, that's made him articulate the five C's. Mm. And maybe you could spell those out for us. Um, oh, yes, now you got me. <laughs> well, the first one's conversation. It's, it's conversation <laughs> and it's co-designing, co-creating and continuation and collaboration. But I don't think I've got the right order. Well, not to worry. But, but I, I tell you why um, I loved it because... Um, I do some keynotes and I do some workshops around relational leading and um, I use the, the five foundational principles of appreciative inquiry. But then what what emerges from that, I have the seven C's. Oh, right. 
And so there was, when I saw yours, it was, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so lovely. There's an overlap. And it's the, I don't have conversation, but I have like collaboration and co-creation and community is one. Okay. And I can't remember all my seven C's either. Um, But, you know, it was just how you, you think what's going on and you're just very observant to what's the interaction that's happening here. And yeah. how does it, what does it really produce? And it produces, so it's both like what's the process and what are the outcomes, right, or what are the outputs of the process? Yes, and I think actually one other thing I'd say about those five Cs is that probably it's the co-designing bit that was quite influential in, in Tim articulating them mm. because we co-designed our, our How to Be More Awesome journal with young people in a school. And so that it's keeping that thread of co-designing running through as much as we can Mm, that we realise that all the other things sit alongside it. Yes, and that speaks to, again, one of the foundational principles, you know, the constructionist principle that it's in relationship and through language that we co-construct our realities. So I think, you know, that to me that the co-design is is kind of an equivalence to co-construction um, because you're building it together. Yes. Um, and that's that's the most powerful piece when people are contributing and feeling yeah. valued. Um, yeah. That's why it works. So yeah. so that was a lovely segue into, into mm. that beautiful publication about you are uh, so awesome. How to be more awesome. Oh, how to be more awesome. Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so um, tell us about that one, Suzanne. And how it's used. Yes. Well, it originated um, through a contact with a school in Liverpool where the, the, the school had noticed that the levels of anxiety that they were uh, seeing amongst the students was rising a little bit. And that gave them cause for concern. And somebody showed the school our Food for Thought journal. And in fact, the Food for Thought journal was partially funded by um, one of our local health organisations. Liverpool had a decade of health and well-being. So we had a we had a strong thread of well-being in that first journal. Um, I don't know whether you use it in quite the same way uh, in the States, but we've we've got the five ways to well-being, which were particular the one we like to use has been developed by the New Economics Foundation. And the five ways are give, connect, keep learning, take notice and be active. And what we noticed that appreciative inquiry automatically involves those first four. And quite often it might help people be active. But for those, so it it seemed to really link AI and well-being in our minds very strongly, I think, from that point. So then when... um, the school looked at our, the Food for Thought journal. They, they asked us if we could co-design with them one that would work for students. And we've been thinking for quite a while that for some people, they might like to have a more structured approach to journaling with lots of exercises and tasks scattered through the book. Uh, and so that's what we ended up talking to the students about. You know, how would that look like for them? What would they like to see included? And the name actually came from talking to some young people as well. That was their suggestion. Mm. Mm. And so how's it being used? Well, the school um, 
the school took a, a big order of our, fir, for our first order and they're using it with all their students and their, their, their teachers are, help, are working with the students to use it and getting feedback on it. We get the students to uh, colour in their own covers mm-hmm. and we've got a website called bemoreawesome.net where people can upload pictures of their covers or they can upload uh, where they're actually journaling. We've got people journaling on it in different parts of the world, which is nice to see. And they can also get guidance notes and facilitators information from that website. So basically the school and the, stu- the students are, are going into it on a regular basis and doing some of the exercises and building up their journey. So lovely. And is it part of any part of the curriculum in any way? Well, um, I don't know, actually, I don't think it is formally, mm-hmm. but it, it is something that they, that they do across the board with a group. Mm-hmm. So it's perhaps quite close to being in the curriculum, but mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. more like a support activity for the students' well-being. Yeah. Um, yes, well, it's, it's really, I think it's so beautifully done. And when I looked at the end, I could see that it was quite a production test. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Yes. And we've got contact with some lovely illustrators locally. Yeah. Because I, I wondered if that was all of Tim's work. No, no, we've got, we, he's not an artist, nor am I. But we do work with some really great. Now that doesn't sound very appreciative, Suzanne. I'm sure you are artist, an artist in some well, way. that's true, actually. You know, I, I do love to do art, but I'm not that kind of illustrator. And he's a potter, and he's you a said. potter, yes. <laughs> so there is that creative... Um, and, and one um, of our associates, Helen, she's also a lovely potter. So there's a strong strand uh-huh. of creativity in the team. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's really great. Um, yeah, well, I think that's really... So that's one of the... Um, what I think is one, you know, one of your innovations, if I may say that, that I um, have found as I've been exploring a little bit more about appreciating people to my delight. And so um, is there anything else you want to say about any of your products? Because I, I wanted to move somewhere else next. So is there anything else you would um, care to draw our attention to? Only just to say that we, we also develop these training packs of, of cards a5 size cards because we found that when we were training we were having to give people photocopies of so many different bits and pieces relating to appreciative inquiry and to the principles and to generativity uh, it was becoming more and more unwieldy and too much for people to read so we wanted to make something for our students that they could have during the training and take away with them for reference and so that's grown now into three different um, packs. There's a kind of quite a, a substantial one for a longer course. And then we've got one called Taste of Appreciative Inquiry, which is really practical for all sorts of groups of people to use. And then the last one is about creating great conversations, which we designed for frontline staff who are working with the public, uh, particularly, you know, to help them have a better and more positive conversations. Mm. Yeah, very helpful. Yeah. So these, when you talk about your students, you're talking about participants in people that we train. Right. Okay. In organizational contexts or communities. That's the thing, I think, because we were training both community groups and uh, hostel staff, 
mm. and people in um, OD practitioners and trainers. We were we were working with a big range of people, so mm. we wanted to make yeah. something that everybody could access and use. Yeah, well, I think it's lovely, and it's um, you know it's something it's something tangible. People like something tangible, right? Yes, yeah, and the, mm. you know each card is on a topic, so they can just pick up that card and you know, remind themselves of the key things or how are they going to go away and start using it? Excellent, excellent. Thank you. So thanks for that. So um, the all of these links to these products will be on the show notes page that I, you know, create um, to accompany your interview, Suzanne. Okay. And just let me say that that's going to be positivitystrategist.com slash PS42. Oh, wow. You've had a lot of guests, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm in an all-guest line, am I? (laughs) You're in an all-star guest lineup, yes. (laughs) Um, So where I'd like to go um, now, if I may, is to the work that you're doing in health. And I'm aware that you've done some work with um, um, people suffering dementia, now, this seems kind of groundbreaking for me, and I would love you to talk more about that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we, what we've done is we've trained health staff who were working with people with dementia and with their carers. And so what we've, we've begun to explore how adding in more emphasis on strengths might support both the staff, the carer, and the person with dementia um, you know, we're still really feeling our way in that. Our intention is to, to, to develop a journal, which we hope will support both the carers and the people with dementia. But there's a little bit more work we have to do to, to identify mm. uh, the right content that will work for those groups of people. But, you know, initial feedback we've had from, from staff that we've been working with is that it could be really helpful and we imagine that um, I've had a few conversations with carers, family members who are carers of people with dementia, to see how they would find the idea of introducing different kinds of conversations with their partner or their parent, but one where they can think more about what are the strengths that this person can still do, what are the strengths of our relationship, even though it's form might be starting to look a bit different or the way in which we relate might be changing. How can I how can I support and nourish my relationship with this person as their mental attitudes and um, their memory changes? Yeah, that's so beautiful. And um, I'm glad you mentioned straight away the carer. I mean, that's the carer takes such a responsibility and experiences so much. Yes. Um, when they're watching their loved one um, or family member kind of um, change. Yes, yes. And the relationship changes. Mm. And, and the, I think there's, it, it, it becomes that there's such a lot of loss that is there mm. that it might sometimes feel hard to remember mm. to focus on the things that are still working while they still are, you know, as, as the process changes and the relationship changes. So, yeah, that's a really interesting point. So could you, could you give us an example of, you know, instead of focusing on the loss and the grief, Mm. how do you flip that over so that it becomes more generative, more supportive? What might, can you just kind of 
give us an example of what that might look like? Yes, well, um, one of the things might be to have a conversation around uh, what what have we really enjoyed doing together today? Mm-hmm. Or what have we enjoyed doing separately? And if, if, if people are able to keep a journal, it might be also we can look through the last couple of days and say, oh, yes, what did we enjoy in those two days? Um, and, and remind ourselves of it. Or what kind of interactions have we had that have gone really well? Hmm. Yeah, so it's all very much being very present focused. Yes, mm. and maybe another one might be what 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 are my strengths? Mm-hmm. Am I still using? And are there other ways that I could be using them? Mm. And what gives joy? I imagine. Yes, that, that's a lovely point yeah. as well. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, what what gives joy? And and that might well change, particularly I think over time with dementia. You know, as my mother's condition changed we no longer really had conversations over the over meals when we had family meals but we did tend to do singing ah so it just connection took a slightly different form Mm. Mm. so we'd all sit around singing old songs over dinner (laughs) (laughs) that sounds wonderful well if my father was still alive he'd frown upon that because he used to say you don't sing at the table (laughs) So sometimes there are some conventions out there to be re-looked at. Except on, you know, Christmas or something like that. Oh, okay. That was all right. That was okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, you know, the, what that does make me think of is that ho- the whole importance of constructionism. Mm-hmm. You know, and that what a breach of inquiry allows and invites us to do is look at how our reality has been and is constructed and how might we want to do it differently? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I suppose changing our views about something like, oh, we don't sing at dinner table mm-hmm. is an example really of constructing a new reality mm-hmm. to meet a new situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why we love to introduce and train the principles. I know um, your last guest, Kathy, I heard her talking a lot about the principles mm-hmm. too with you. And, yeah, that's something that we particularly enjoy teaching about. Yes, it's one of my favourite things too because mm. I think when you when you understand the principles that underpin the practice and you begin to embody that and you see the world through that lens, that's when it becomes so much more meaningful. Yes, And, in yes. fact, the three principles that aren't um, are not part of the foundational but I think, um, you know, Diana Whitney – focuses on them and so does Jackie Kelm, um, the awareness, choice and enactment principles. Oh, yes. I love those. Um, And, in fact, I've just finished writing a um, a training program called Be an Agent for Positive Change. And I focus very much on right at the outset so that as people go through the training, they are very aware they make choices and it's kind of taking it into enactment, you know, embodying it or, yes, yes, or yes. acting on it. And I think that was one of the things that was part of the five wellness ways, right? Be yeah. active. But yeah, I yes, mean, that might mean like physically active, but it really means, you know, doing something with it. It just doesn't Actually, sit in your head. No, that's a really great comment, in fact. I've not made that particular link with the word before. 
<laughs> really? Yeah. Well, there yeah. you go. I'm glad I was of service to you today. <laughs> <laughs> Not only in that. <laughs> it's a very lovely conversation. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Yeah, so the enactment. And I think the other piece, if I can um, just jump in here again, since I'm already jumping in, um, where that became even more meaningful for me, Suzanne, was um, understanding more about um, Barbara Fredrickson's work and positivity and the embodiment you know, the fact that positive emotions are yes. embodied. And so I'm thinking, wow, you know, so it is very much, and I've always been in this, you know, mind, body, um, spirit connection. And so it just, you know, when these things just come together and you have these aha mm. moments, it's yeah. just fabulous. Yes. And we, we also like to touch on those extra principles and the other one that we include is wholeness. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Thank you yeah, for reminding so me. Yes, yeah. I love that. Yeah, very well. That's mm. great. Well, and in fact, you mentioning Barbara just makes me think of the conference. Oh, great. Go there. One of the lovely moments of that, of the conference, mm. was a Skype call where Barbara Skyped in and had this lovely conversation with David Cooperider on the stage. So it was quite interesting seeing with Barbara being full size on the stage, <laughs> but at six o'clock in the morning for her time, oh. but talking to David about how appreciative inquiry and positive psychology are connecting and how they support each other. It was really great. Mm. Yes. Well, um, yes, I think, I mean, I first was introduced to Barb when I did my certification with David um, at mm. Case Western right. and that was 24, 2004. And he talked about the positive principle and talked about Barbara Fredrickson's broaden and build theory. Oh, and right. that just lit me up. I mean, I got so mm -hmm. excited about that. Yes. And I've been an enormous fan of hers, um, you know, since then and, you know, read everything I can. And um, it's just the work that she's doing, you know, at the PEP laboratory in yes. the science yes. of positive emotions. It's just fantastic. And I think that's influenced me to call my 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 rebranding positivity uh, because I, it really, you know, it does it is about appreciative inquiry and it is about the role of positive emotions and how we can rewire our brain by the biological impacts of positivity. Yes, yes. So it's all very connected. It is, isn't it? Yes. Mm, yeah. So what? So since you mentioned the Appreciative Inquiry Conference in Johannesburg, um, are there any highlights that you would like to share with us? Well, um, one of the highlights, I think, was being able to spend some more time with Lindsay Godwin and a little bit with David as well and talking about how we might collaborate with them and the new centre for Appreciative Inquiry in Champlain mm -hmm. and also just getting to know them better. And I also quite enjoyed doing Twitter because <laughs> for the first time, in fact, in a conference, I've, I've used Twitter to connect with people who are there. So actually, I managed to meet or get an, a, a bit of knowledge of some really lovely delegates in a way I hadn't done before and make some nice connections. So that was nice. And there's lots of stuff still, I think, on Twitter if people want to look at it. Because loads of people were doing beautiful tweets and images of the presentations. Look, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was connecting to the conference via Twitter. Yes. And I would read the stream um, daily and I would re tweet 
and I would add some comments. So I really valued all those tweets. So I'm happy that you did. Oh, thank you. That's nice <laughs> to hear that as well. It's nice to know, isn't it, that some people out there were connecting with us that way yes, too. Yes, it was, it was my daily feed and I, and I got very excited. Somebody, um, you know, did an image of, you know, there were images of different people on stage and yes. it just felt really... I felt a little included because I was very sad that I wasn't able to make it the first time yeah. I've missed one. Yeah. So I was a little sad. But, um, yeah, so that made it worthwhile. And were you tweeting during Ghent? No, no, we haven't really uh, got into it then properly at all. Because I was, and I, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm stating that because that was exactly my experience. I would have people... You know, other delegates um, or conference attendees, we would connect via tweet via, via Twitter, okay. and we would meet up. And somebody'd say, "Oh, I just want to meet you. Can you be by the door at such and such a time?" Yes, and it was fabulous. Yeah, so it's a shame we weren't up to Twitter then. <laughs> well, we might it's have connected had that been the case. Yeah, yes, we would have done. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh, that's great. But there were some really wonderful uh, presentations and stories from people working in South Africa and elsewhere in, in Africa um, that were presented at the conference. Some lovely work being done with schools, mining companies that are engaging with the appreciative inquiry. I had a lovely connection with a Kenyan woman who was running a project with uh, supporting internally displaced people in Kenya using appreciative inquiry and positive psychology. Uh, I think the organisers of the conference did a great job bringing in as many people from Africa. And they also did a wonderful, um, what's the word for it? Uh, like a, a celebration, I think, for Jane Macruder Watkins, because it was the first one she couldn't get to. Uh. So they had uh, some some people talking about her. And I think they were going to send her the video of that little, it, was, it happened at one of the evening dinners. Oh, that's so beautiful. It was great to bring, mm. have her brought into the conference in that way too. That's beautiful. And also I there was a tribute to Anne Radford, right? That's right. There yeah. was and all that amazing work mm. she's done on the AI practitioner. Mm. Mm. See, I know that all through Twitter. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> and of course, you'll know that AI practitioner is now being uh, picked up by Vic van der Vaart. I so, did not know that. Yeah. So have, have a look how... Things might, new things might emerge. I'm not quite sure yet which direction he's going to take it. But he was talking to people at the conference about, you know, how they'd like to see it going forward. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm really thrilled about that. You know, that there's continuity and um, that's excellent news. So that's great. Um, Right. Well, um, what's, what's kind of, what's something that's on your horizon that, or a big conversation that you would like to be part of? Um, I think, you know, we'd like to do some more work with schools and the positive psychology and appreciative inquiry in schools. And quite um, out of the blue, really, recently we've got, we are we were invited to facilitate a conference in January with a, a group of schools, the American schools in Europe, who are wanting to introduce uh, the whole concept of flourishing and positive psychology into their school. So we're really looking forward to getting to know more about that and how it might happen and and to be part of the process with them. 
Oh, that's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So anything else that you would like to share that um, I haven't um, brought up that may have come to you, Suzanne? Oh, I was just thinking one of the things that I do like to, going back to Barbara Fredrickson, actually, but it's that concept of looking for micro moments of positivity, Mm. which when I first read it, I thought, oh, that's a bit technical, the phrasing. But actually, I find it increasingly useful internally, you know, especially in in those moments when I'm not feeling positive or Mm. something isn't going quite how I think it should be. uh, Looking for those micro moments of positivity becomes something that I can enjoy and have fun with. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, And in fact, I just made a comment today on somebody's blog when they were talking about like happiness and I mean, happiness is very momentary, you know, these are micro moments of love and micro moments of um, happiness. And, um, you know, we, we have the full gambit of emotions. So you're right when we're down, you know, it's just understand that these things are fleeting. Yes, but that they can all add up Mm -hmm. to something cumulative. Beautiful. Yeah. I feel that we've had quite a few actually in our conversation today <laughs> and yesterday. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yes, it's it's those the micro moments of connection which I think are fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so there's so much in that to begin to. We we know we're just we don't even know the, you know the depth of all of this yet. No, no, um, no. And it's and very, in fact, I mentioned to you that I had a, a rap poem on a priest of inquiry. Oh, please share uh, that. One of the hostel residents uh, wrote for me. <laughs> so that might be a good note to end on. That would be a lovely note to end on. So, Although I'm not naturally talented at rap, so you have to <laughs> bear with me on that. <laughs> so but, please go ahead. Okay. Appreciative inquiry, you don't need no diary to find the desire inside of me, to light the fire that surrounds me. Appreciative inquiry, don't ask me. Try it for yourself and see. Appreciate the things that are good in your life. Forget about the bad, because that is sad. Look at the positive, forget the negative. Look at the plus, forget the minus. Appreciative inquiry, don't need no diary. What has it done for me? Look at my lifestyle and you will see. Oh, that's so fantastic. (laughs) Nice, isn't it? It's great. (laughs) So that was by um, a, a man called Steve McCoy. That was great. And that is a lovely note to end on. <clears throat> I'd love to have more conversations with you, Suzanne, online yes. or offline. It's yes, been truly, too. it's been truly a pleasure to um, engage in this way. So thank you so much for your willingness to be part of this. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me. All right. And not that I've met Tim, but I, I feel I, I know him yes. and I'd like to, you to extend my warm regards to Tim. Oh, thank you. I will do. Yes, I'll guess right. he'll, he'll listen in as well when it's <laughs> when it's on air. Okay. All right okay. then. Well, I wish you the rest of the a lovely um, afternoon in in Liverpool. And um, again, thank you for being with me, Suzanne. Oh, thank you too, Robin. That's great. Have a lovely day. And Bye. you too. Bye. So that was the most wonderful conversation, wasn't it? I really enjoyed talking to Suzanne Quinney. And so now let's go to our Positivity Lens Reframe segment and follow some of the positivity strategies that Suzanne proposes for us. And you can download these on the show notes page for this episode, which is positivitystrategist.com slash PS42. And so these are the three strategies that Suzanne has recommended for you all. 
So the first one is, words do create your world. And so Suzanne is suggesting that you have fun with reframing. Notice your own inner commentary and see if it can be reframed into something more positive. For example, if you have this view that I don't have enough experience, you can actually reframe that too. I'm looking forward to finding ways to build on my experience. The second strategy was to go into your meetings and start your meetings with people, um, for example, a weekly meeting, about naming something that's gone well for you in the last week. And she suggested you think of this as a warm-up as opposed to an icebreaker. And you ask people to share in pairs a sparkling moment that they've had at home or at work. And when you listen to their sparkling moment, you you suggest to them three or two strengths that they, that you felt were present in their story of a sparkling moment. And the third thing was what we pay attention to grows. So Suzanne's suggestion was to try to start or to begin to begin an appreciative journal. So if you were just to invest a few minutes a day, it helps you retrain the mind. And you can start to write about nice things that you've done for people or that they've done for you. And that's just one of the examples of the kinds of things that you can begin to pay attention to and they will grow. So if you'd like to download the Positivity Lens activity, you can go again to positivitystrategist.com slash PS42 and you can read the show notes and you can find all these amazing links to Suzanne and her work. So signing off until next time. So you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best. <laughs>